The cinder block wall glowed green in the light, as if the house were underwater. A metal bowl sat on the clay near a plastic bucket for washing clothes. In the outdoor kitchen were enough plates and pans to serve a village, and standing next to the mud-splattered wall was a young chimpanzee. She walked forward on her hind legs and extended the hand toward an old man, Christopher. How's it going? Christopher said in French, as if the chimp were greeting him. When she reached the end of her chain, she jerked and lowered an arm to the ground to regain her balance. The chimp was a year and a half to two years old and no doubt a survivor of the slaughter of her family by poachers. Leave it, leave it, said the dealer. Hey, Kita! You call her how? Christopher said. Kita, Kita, leave it! She grew panicked and scared as Christopher followed the big-bellied dealer away from her toward the road. Kita whined, and Christopher mumbled something I couldn't understand. He was difficult to understand in person, let alone on the recording of a hidden camera. I rewound the tape. On the video recorder's tiny screen, I watched the footage again. The shoulder bag Christopher had just carried from his meeting with the dealer sat at my feet. Stuck to the bag as a distraction from the button-sized eye of the hidden camera was a yellow Guinness pin, now covered with bugs that had crawled out of the grass. The camera contraption inside the bag was held together by duct tape, our near-budgetless improvisations never ceasing to amaze me for working. Christopher was a retired military adjutant in his mid-fifties and one of my undercover agents, and we stood together, hiding behind luxurious Hotel Azur in Bastos, Yaoundé's richest neighborhood. I touched Christopher's shoulder, and he moved off toward the hotel entrance to wait. The dealer, Tonye in Ken, had set the price of the chimpanzee at 150,000 francs, around $250. And if what Nken had said was true, he was now on his way to the hotel to finalize the sale to Christopher. I pushed the rifle barrel of one of the men down toward the grass. Four armed policemen stood around me with an officer from the Ministry of Environment and Forestry, Minef. I felt the inevitable fear of violence that accompanied the necessary deterrent of guns. Temgua, do you understand? We need to do it quick, said our lead police officer, Julius, who wore an olive green uniform. Yes, of course, said Temgua, the Minef official, as he adjusted his beret. Not like at the market with those ladies selling elephant meat, Julius said. We don't want luck to be the reason we get out of here. You explain the law and we take him. He doesn't need a lecture about animals. Julius's forearms were roped with veins, his bearing that of a man twice his size. Quiet Temgua spent a decent portion of his Minef salary on cable television so he could watch nature films. Again, I said, if a car comes with a dealer but no chimp, no one moves. Mmm, Julius and Temgua hummed in accord. If that happens, Christopher calls me from his mobile and I give him new instructions. If the dealer plays it smart and sends someone in his place to deliver the chimp, no one moves. To keep the dealer from escaping, we have to get him away from his vehicle. I rushed around the building when a car drove up, but Christopher waved me off. I could smell the tropical stink of my underarms. The pipes in my house had been dry for days, and I was even dirtier than when I'd slept in the bottom of a canoe on the Niger. Rivers had long been better habitats for me than towns. The police officers blotted their foreheads with their sleeves. Ignatius, a man along to film the arrest, had helped to recruit Julius to the team. We made a suspicious gang lurking behind the hotel with a video camera and assault rifles, and we could only hope no one spotted us. At 1.20 p.m., 20 minutes past the meeting time, 
I crept along the flower beds between the hotel and its high outer wall. The equatorial sun was radiating off the driveway, the place as hot as clear jungle. Christopher leaned against an empty concrete guardhouse at the hotel entrance. He wore a light blue administrative suit with a short sleeve coat, and he'd lowered his top hat over his eyes like an old-time detective. Call him, Christopher. Ask if he's on his way. We don't care much about his answer. Just listen if you can hear a car engine in the background. Christopher moved off toward the hotel lobby, swinging his limbs in slow motion as if parodying a spy film, as if such a gait made him invisible. I was anxious, squeezing the bridge of my nose, marveling at the potential catastrophes I managed to invent. We picked Bastos for the arrest, a place packed with embassies and non-government organizations, NGOs, where empty streets offered safety from mobs we'd faced in recent operations some of them so chaotic I'd rush to erase our video footage to avoid losing the support of anyone who saw it. Christopher had searched Yaoundé the past week for dealers, inquired in the markets, posed as the cook of a white man interested in having a pet chimp.